Hello there. This is Barb and Vicki G. A mother and daughter reunited after 30 years. Welcome to our podcast. Season two, new and improved with fabulous guests. Joining us to discuss how we've all become stronger in the broken places. <laughs> you fit that in beautifully, Barb. Why, thank you, Vicki. Everybody longs for someone to listen. That's so true. Oh, yeah. Mary Jo is a wonderful speaker. That reminds me of one of my favorite quotes mm-hmm. by Stephen Covey. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Wow. Yeah, I, I recognize that from my earlier years. I'm so glad I threw away that habit. Mm, I'm still putting it down. I pick it up from time to time. I can get lost in thinking of what I want to say mm. rather than listening to the other person. When is the first time you felt heard, really heard? If I'm completely honest, I think that is why I married my husband and we're together 40 years later because he really wanted to know me and he listened so deeply. That's so romantic. I know it is kind of. But it wasn't, it was deeper than romance. Wow. What about you? My dad, my sweet dad. I'm really looking forward to our next guest today, Mary Jo Lurai. Mary Jo is amazing. And she's authored a book, Practical Inspirations. Mary Jo is here to talk about what experiences inspired her to become the life coach and author and all around inspiring woman that she is today. Well, welcome. It's so nice to have you here with us. I'm so thrilled. And it just, uh, it feels like I'm already in a warm embrace. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) You are. We're in a little group hug here. (laughs) What inspired you to begin this amazing work? I went from teenage years in an alcoholic household. So I knew how to put the radar out and sense Mm. and know. And because I went from bartending to hairstyling to facilitator and coach. Oh, yeah. Pretty much a professional listener for, you know, 40 some years. So there you go. You grew up in an alcoholic household and you were mm-hmm. a bartender. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? <laughs> How do those link up? Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose, you know, comfort, mm-hmm. you know, what you know what, you know, mm-hmm. uh, small town, Pennsylvania, I grew up in the town that said, do you want to drink? No, I'm not drinking tonight. Just get me a beer. Okay. Wow. And then by the time I got into the bartending, uh, and, and I, and I do believe that this is, you know, also influences my work. Like I would have never seen the courage and strength my parents had if I hadn't seen them get sober. Uh. So some of what I learned from my parents is who I wanted to be. And some of what I learned is who I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. And 
well, all of it was valuable. Like all of it was valuable. So that was a big part. And I know you all with your healing journey can understand what I mean. That was a huge part of the healing for me was which brick would I throw away when I liked the house I live in today? Mm. You know, what, what part would I take away and risk not being who I am today? Mm -hmm. So when it came to bartending, I mean, that for me, conversation and, you know, have a good joke ready and get compensated for it seemed like a no brainer when I was, uh, fresh out of college. So. Yeah. Yeah. You'd already trained for that all your life. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I completely relate to what you're saying. I didn't, I found out my father was an alcoholic when I went to Al-Anon. <laughs> I didn't know that binge drinking wasn't normal. Mm. A fish doesn't know what the water is. Right. Right. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Cause nobody was ever allowed to know until it finally got to the point where it was, you know, impossible to hide, but that, you know, making up games so, uh, to get my sister in the closet till yeah. I could get stuff cleaned up like that. That's where, that's where that came. Like when I sensed that, then let's play hide and go seek. And I'd get her in her closet. And, uh, there was a, uh, a realization that the family had to change and real steps were taken and rehab was enacted. And I was like a senior in high school going to meetings with my mom. So she'd have somebody to go with. Wow. Oh my God. The grit they had to get sober. Yeah. The relearning life Mm -hmm. that I witnessed the humility Uh, that it took. So, you know, I'm not trying to polish a turd as my dad would say, but uh, (laughs) that's a good expression. (laughs) That is something I really truly feel as a cornerstone Mm -hmm. for some of the work I do. Thank you. It's there's not a trace of victimhood in you. That is really rare with trauma. It looks like you've come through that to, to a wisdom that's really, I think just phenomenal. I don't know any other way to do it, but if I'm not doing the work I'm an advocate for, Mm -hmm. you know, what am I doing? Yeah. It is still one of my core fault lines. So when the Mm -hmm. tectonic plates shift, yeah, it'll trickle right back there to this isn't fair. Why am I alone? Those are my two big ones. Mm. So when those show up, I know something's been triggered that took me back down to the core. Yeah. You got to see reality when your parents got sober. And I feel like even if you didn't have something as deeply troubling as alcoholism, there was this pretense that everyone had to live up to. Mm -hmm. And we rarely saw our real parents really heard what their struggles were, their mistakes. They never shared them. Imagine, imagine having zero permission. Mm -hmm. Imagine like how many housewives we're on amphetamines and mood stabilizers and Valium because they weren't allowed to say what it felt like to be them, mm-hmm. yeah. even to other women that felt like it. Cause that wasn't how it was done. Yeah. And of course, men, which is still, you know, differently, but generationally, you know, who's going to be the pussy that says this hurts my feelings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when it comes to me, like shifting out of that victimhood, were these the cards I deserved? I'm not sure how long spending time in that question will forward me. Now, if I need to heal that little one and say, this isn't about you, this isn't who, this isn't because of you, this isn't come to you did something wrong. That's really worthy work. Mm -hmm. That's worthy work. But to pretend like I could take it away would be so foolish. 
because these were the cards I was dealt. Mm -hmm. And a good player doesn't play the cards. A good player plays the game. Did you always have this long range view? No, I, uh, I was in a hairstyling career. Met, fell in love with Peter Tork from the Monkees, moved to California, was with him for six years. My move out there was so easy. I owned a salon. And when I told Peter I would move, um, as soon as my salon sold, my old assistant walked in the door the next day and said, I'm really looking for some, my own thing. Do you know anybody that's selling? And I had to check at oh. five o'clock and I wow. went, okay, so California's coming. You know, yeah. I'm supposed to be here. And I know I grew up in Northern California and I remember when I moved to LA, you know, and I didn't run in celebrity circles, but just the whole like LA vibe, the superficiality and all of that was really a, a thing to navigate. Peter had other celebrity or famous friends, but that wasn't who he most hung with. Mm. Like, so that wasn't really a big part of our lives. Like it was more like go to drum circle, like folk music sessions and, ah, and, you know, wow. the local coffee shop and, you know, so, and then of course on the road, it was, you know, I can't tell you how many times people called me Mrs. Monkey, which is really interesting. <laughs> but my first official salon job was in Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. And like, I knew it wasn't for me when they started talking about breast implants and how much they cost. And I go, well, God, if I'm going to spend that, I want something cool, like another arm. <laughs> and, and everyone turned and looked at me and I went, oh, did I say this out loud, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When I finally left Beverly Hills, the timing was right. I had gotten enough of a, uh, a following that I could go do my own thing because that's really why I went to Beverly Hills because that's the most concentrated place for a mm -hmm. stylist to build a clientele. But it was because the overwhelming sadness I would come home with because I got it on me from the yeah. people. And, and the arrogance was there and the image stuff was there and all that's there. And it's real easy to judge that. But what I could hear was the sadness or the not enoughness or yeah. the fear that it was covering up so much that that's where I was vibing with people. Mm. And then I finally just had to go, you know, I don't want to be in this bath of sadness. Mm. And I'm not saying everyone in Beverly Hills there. So please don't no. misinterpret. No. Los Angeles itself has such a high concentration of different kinds of people. Yeah. I agree that it's all represented. It's all mm -hmm. represented. And that's how I got to California. When that fell apart, I knew there was something for me in California besides him. Cause I didn't even move out here until I was sure there was something beyond him. Mm -hmm. And then, Smart. yeah. And so when it did fall apart, it was like, no, there's still something for me here. And mm -hmm. there was just so much more, you know, that small town, I'm not making it wrong, but there were limitations of exposure. Mm -hmm. Who am I? without being in reaction to anyone was the mm. next stage of my life. So I'm standing in a lamp store because I'm furnishing an apartment. I'm going to live alone for the first time since I took breath. Mm. Wow. And I'm thinking about, well, I'm not sure about that lamp. And what if this lamp? And I just start laughing hysterically at the store. If I want to buy a Barbie lamp, I can buy a Barbie lamp. I got nobody else to please. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that intoxicating explosion of, who will I be if I'm not in reaction or response to someone else? Uh, mm -hmm. And that next stage of my life became that. Wow. And California wow. was a perfect place for that because if I, you know, I would go to an ecstatic dance and then I'd go to the symphony mm -hmm. and then I'd go get a burger and then I'd go get the best, you know, escargot and, yeah. you know, yeah. so like all of the different places you can explore yourself 
exist in LA. So that part, I thrived in that part. You have just described LA more beautifully than I have ever heard it described. I moved down there for college and I ended up getting married and staying there. And um, it's, yeah, you know, people always complain about the traffic and the superficiality and, the, and those certainly those are elements, you know, and we are obsessed with the route that we take, like the Californians Saturday Night Live skit is <laughs> true. <laughs> I took La Cienega to, <laughs> but, um, but I agree. My best friend, uh, who's a, an LA girl, um, always says in LA, you can find your people. And I agree with you. Um, I had an exact same moment you're describing after my divorce, I went to buy myself a bed for the first time in my life alone. And I gave myself the entire afternoon and I went and laid on every single mattress in the store. I think they thought I was insane. <laughs> I was just like laying there and I would roll one way and roll the other and try every sleep position. <laughs> like they're like, kept coming over. Can we help you? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> Cause I could pick out whatever bed I wanted for myself. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Almost disorienting. Yeah, it, it was, I felt like I was in free fall initially, like, who am I yeah, if, I'm yeah, not, yeah. if I'm not married to or dating or, or the daughter of, or who, who is Vicky? Mm, but once be. I sure, figured sure, out sure. who I was, it was glorious. But even the, boy, it narrows down my options when someone else is involved and having that many options was a little disorienting. Yeah. What, what do I like when I'm the only one to please doesn't happen all the time. And yet, and, and it does need to be fostered, whether you are with other people or not. Mm -hmm. So that being able to, again, hear and know oneself and listen deeply. And yes, of course I will get Thai food not tonight because that's what will be best for my relationship. But I know <laughs> very clearly I would prefer Italian, you know, like <laughs> it's, you know, that, that sounds, sounds lighthearted, but I mean that yeah. very much so. And then the clearer I am about what I know I want and understanding my boundaries. Uh, I was working with a woman last night uh, and she said so beautifully, um, her challenge in relationship is setting boundaries. Mm. And I said, that's interesting to me. What do you think would change if you just held them all the time? Oh, wow, that's beautiful. There's always a little bit of compromise in a relationship. Yeah. And that's oh, not boundaries. That's, that's just mutual caring. And so mm. I can do that more easily now that I had my time where I had a girly bedroom with lace curtains and I didn't compromise on what I wanted to do or go mm -hmm. or where I wanted to go. I'm glad I had that time. You're speaking of something important, Barb, and I'm, I'm actually going to put a different word on it. So if the resonance doesn't, isn't there, feel free. The difference between compromise and capitulation. Compromise, that's a dynamic experience that, you know, I'm serving my relationship by softening here and bending there. Capitulation means I've got to surrender to everything else that is, which is not the same thing, but if you don't know the difference, you'll confuse them and then feel like you've been overcompromised. Totally two different things. Yeah. You should have seen your face, Barb. It, it was just so beautiful and loving and open in the way you discussed like, yeah, like now that's a gift I bring to my relationship mm -hmm. instead of a sacrifice I've got to oh. make for my relationship. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
if you can live alone and be yourself, mm -hmm. I think then you can bring the gift of compromise without feeling like like a victim or exactly. oppressed. That's really beautiful, Barb. So I have to know, Mary Jo, what happened after you bought the lamp? I know you stayed in LA. <laughs> Somebody took me to an event where these, it was a graduation for this transformational work. And I, I, I called the company the next day and enrolled myself because uh, everybody looked me in the eye and everybody had good news. And I'm like, I think I found my people. Mm. Like, this is really interesting to me. From a student, volunteer, volunteer, coached, supported all of that. And then suddenly at one point I was doing it almost as much as I was doing my career work that uh, somebody that was a trainer who was a brilliant woman. In fact, she's going to be my maid of honor, Krista Petty Raymer tapped me and said, you know, I think it's time for you to choose. Like, what do you want to do? So she mentored me and I became a trainer uh, and then retired from hair after 30 years to do this full-time. Did the two of them again, simultaneously full-time mm -hmm. trained and hair and coaching and clients and, and then let it go, uh, before actually before COVID. So, uh, and then when COVID hit, it was like the, again, not how I would want it. Yeah. Wouldn't wish it again, but oh my God, I had already let go of that as my career. And my other work was transferable into virtual. Yeah. And I was needed ever more so. So again, that felt like my, my part in it was divinely planned. Yeah. Tell us about your journey to write and get, and get the book out. Oh my. Oh, yes. What a clunky. I mean, I swear <laughs> when it starts, like just the concept of writing a book, I, yeah. I was like, at one point I'm like, I think my wagon's got square wheels. Cause it just felt like, like it just was, ugh. I knew there was a book in me. I've always been clear about that. I've been talking about being a writer forever. And, uh, and then a very dear friend of mine who I adore said, you know, what if your book's already written? Okay. Now I'm intrigued and something kind of perked up in me. And I went and I did go gather up some of the pieces I already had. Uh, as soon as I, soon as I primed the pump, then it just started coming out. And then instead of writing a book, I wrote parts of a book. Mm. There, there was a whole lot. Once I got into that rhythm up and I started to see it mm -hmm. so clearly what I wanted to do, then it just started to come out. And, and uh, a dear friend of mine, who's a writing coach, you know, it, and, and anybody who's ever written knows this, this isn't a surprise. And we resist it all the time. And the ego goes, it can't be that effing simple. If you want to be a writer, right. Mm -hmm get your ass in the chair and write. So I would just do a writing session every day. And sometimes I wrote, a, you know, lovely scrap pieces of paper to turn into kindling for my chimney. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, something would come out of me that was just like, oh yeah, I can hear it so clearly. And just, yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, you yes. know, Stephen King uh, in his book on writing thinks that every everything is already written and we just have to dig it up. Mm, I believe that. Basically it's your skill set as a writer that lets you pull up as much of the story intact as possible. But oh, that's so interesting. I love that when you were saying how it got easier, maybe you just kept honing your art to be able to dig up 
all of that. I think so. I I really do think that is. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I did work with a writing teacher here in LA years ago. Um, That's great. Yeah. And then he was really keen on, and I think it affected my writing quite a bit, called image moment. So it's in that one moment, what's the 360 degree experience? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I thrive on that. Yeah. Like how much I can squeeze out of a moment so somebody else can experience Mm -hmm. the moment. Mm -hmm. Smells, textures, sounds, vibrations. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun talking about writing. Now, do you write handwriting or do you write typing? Both. When I'm writing um, and I need to go deep with an emotional component, I'll pull out my journal and write a poem. Uh, But I've learned how to write on the computer pretty well, and it's certainly more efficient. How about you, Barb? When we're working on a place we need to go deeper, I dream about it that Mm. night and re-experience I mean we've been writing a memoir so I re-experience the moment in my dream Mm. and then write it down the next morning when I wake and so it's uh yeah my dreams my dreams are pretty rich they give me answers to what I'm working on they give me insight (laughs) so do you write stuff down when you wake up or does it just the residue stays with you? What's supposed to stay with you? Yeah. Uh, well, when I wake up, I start. Yeah, I'm compelled to write it down okay. when I wake. Yeah. 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 I find it has to be retold either verbally or jot it down or it start. I, it's, you know, it, it, it's like smoke. Isn't that the truth? You can mm-hmm. lose it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that perfect moment. Where is it? <laughs> yeah, totally. How about you, Mary Jo? Do you? Do you do a little bit of both too, writing and on the computer, uh, on paper? You know, it, it, when I when I want like really expressive, uh, somatically, pen and paper is like so. Even when I train, mm-hmm. I've had people that want to bring their laptops in, and the work I do because I do mind body spirit connection. Like you got that tangibility, feel it in your hand, feel the pressure, mm-hmm. feel even when you when that pen moves across the page, there's this real subtle vibration that comes up into your hand. Like all of that begins to create expression mm. in a different way. And especially if I'm doing stream of consciousness, then oh, it's yeah. always pen to paper. Yeah. Um, then like you said, efficiency sake, when I need to keep up with how fast my thoughts are coming, mm-hmm. then keyboard, keyboard works better. Well, Mary Jo, it's been amazing. It's the time has flown. we're so thrilled thank you so much for coming is there anything that you would like to say as you as you part (laughs) any last words Uh, uh, well first I want to express my gratitude that the two of you have been willing to take your own experiences and create inspiration for others out in the world by being transparent (laughs) and open with it and why not let's take the lid off and Mm -hmm. shine light in places I admire that about your work so much. And to all of your listeners, you, you are a miracle. And I'm so glad that you were listening. And um, inspiration is everywhere. So be it, seek it, create it, and use it. Oh, wow. Good words. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. I feel thank so you. uplifted. You have the most beautiful energy. 
Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mary Thank you all. What a pleasure. All right. Talk about a great listener. I was really impressed with Mary Jo. And look at her experience. Who are the best listeners in the world? Bartenders and hairdressers. (laughs) You make a very (laughs) good point. I just loved the way she connected things, their story. Yeah, I understand why she's so effective as a coach and an inspiration to so many people. So this has been an amazing journey, Barb, having guests on our podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Me too. Our next guest is Artrice Baznight. And she's the woman that I did uh, the Instagram live with. Oh my gosh. The work she's doing Mm -hmm. is going to help the world too. Yeah. It's going to be really fun to have a chat with her about adoptee issues, but I think I'm probably most excited about having you there as a birth mother, you know, as, as that other part of the conversation, because Therese is in reunion as well. I think it'll be really lovely to, to have that conversation with her about what's brought her to her work. It'll be a great conversation. Yes. And I just wanted to thank you for, um, being such a great listener as well. I love you. Thank you, sweetie. You too. You hear me. What? <laughs> you hear me. <laughs> Don't do that. You see me. Can you hear me now? What? I'm just being a brat. Uh, and you do it so well. Why, thank you. <laughs> All right. I love you. I'll see you later. Bye. Love you. Bye. This is not intended to be a substitute for therapy. We are not medical or legal experts. We share our journey only to entertain and inform. So until next time, remember to listen to each other and be kind.